NASA is trying to answer one of the key objectives. Are we alone in the universe? I think our whole view of ourselves and the universe would change after a discovery of life beyond our planet. It's going to be really exciting science. NASA's Europa Clipper mission is preparing to conduct the first dedicated, detailed study of an ocean world beyond Earth. And that's our topic today on Small Steps, Giant Leaps. Welcome back to the NASA Apple Knowledge Services podcast, where we share novel ideas, best practices, and lessons learned from project experiences. I'm Dina Nunley. Our guest today is Jennifer Dooley, the Project System Engineer for NASA's Europa Clipper mission. Jennifer, thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Could you give us an overview of the Europa Clipper mission? The Europa Clipper mission is going to go out to Europa, one of the moons of Jupiter. And the reason that we're interested in this body is that there's an icy surface and evidence suggests there's a, a global ocean with actually twice the amount of water of all of Earth's oceans combined. So the goal of the Clipper mission is to investigate whether that ocean could support life. Clipper is a solar-powered spacecraft. We carry state-of-the-art tools for characterizing the ice shell and the ocean. We look at composition, geology, and also collect reconnaissance of Europa. During our science tour, we'll be in a big orbit around Jupiter, and we're going to do flybys of Europa every couple of weeks. The spacecraft and the suite of instruments all together is really pretty large. For reference, all of the hardware we build has a mass of about 2,900 kilograms, and then we add about the same amount of propellant. And that fueled spacecraft with the payload all together weighs about as much as an African elephant. We have 100 square meters of solar array, uh, but because Jupiter is so much further from the sun, and actually also because the radiation environment is so harsh, it degrades the array and the amount of energy it's able to produce. So at the end of life, it's going to produce 700 watts. That's about half of what my hairdryer uses, um, just for kind of context. The Clipper mission is going to look at Europa in more detail than ever before. We are going to look at the surface. We're going to probe the subsurface. We're going to study composition of materials ejected off of the surface into space using cameras and ice penetrating radar. We have a thermal imager, plasma sensor, and we look in the ultraviolet and infrared spectrum. And we also have a dust analyzer and a magnetometer, and finally, a mass spectrometer. So it's an incredibly capable, incredibly sensitive payload that's going to just tell us more about this body than we've ever seen before. It's going to be really exciting science. On the solar rays, we have these large deployable booms. Uh, we also have a large boom for the magnetic field instrument, which gets it away from the spacecraft. Our spacecraft is also, in addition to being our ride out there and all of our infrastructure, it also can interfere with the instrument sensing themselves. So we have to, you know, kind of balance all of those needs. And our direct sampling instruments are going to be scooping up dust molecules and charged particles. And our large uh, antenna lets us send all that data back to Earth. Jennifer, space advocates have long been intrigued by Europa. What do you think stimulates so much interest in this moon of Jupiter? Galileo Galilei discovered Callisto, Io, Ganymede, and Europa. These are the four largest moons uh, in 1610. And really, that was an incredible moment in science. 
It changed our understanding of the solar system. And it was also actually instructive in techniques for determining longitude, trying to use the understanding of the, the motion of those moons. But then after that, there wasn't as much um, discovery in that area. But in more recent times, we've discovered that there's a very thin atmosphere that's mostly oxygen. There's a, a rocky core and a layer of smooth ice, meaning that we don't see a lot of crater marks. So it's a relatively young surface. Based on uh, magnetometer measurements, we were able to discern that it's got an ocean. Essentially, this is looking at the in induced magnetic field in, in that ocean. It's a global ocean, so it can move under that uh, ice shell. So one of the really interesting things about it is that it looks like it's got all of these different ingredients that could allow the evolution of life there. And so that's just become one of the real targets for astrobiology in the solar system. From a science perspective, this is a compelling mission. What is NASA trying to discover? NASA is trying to answer one of the key objectives. Are we alone in the universe? Beyond Earth, Europa is considered one of the most promising places to search for signs of life, and it could have all of the ingredients. The surface is mostly made of water ice uh, with some salts. It's got kind of a ruddy color. And in fact, recent experiments in the laboratory have shown that if you take sodium chloride table salt and irradiate it, it has that similar ruddy color. Uh, so we see evidence that it's really a, a saltwater ocean like our own. You know, we've got the water. We see evidence that the chemistry is there also. So we have sulfur sputtered from EO that ends up on the surface. We have a rocky mantle and contact between a liquid water ocean and that mantle. Uh, you can get chemical leaching out. So you get a lot of interesting uh, potential chemistry there. We have irradiation on the surface, which we think of as being very harsh to life, but that also creates oxidants. And those could provide important chemical energy along with the, the reductants that can come out of mantle rock water reactions. So that together with the, um, there's actually heating, we think, in the core related to tidal forces from Jupiter. And that seems to be the energy that allows that water to stay liquid. Uh, and so all of those ingredients together seem to really pique interest that this could be a very interesting target for that search for habitability and ultimately the search for life beyond our planet. Will you be scouting locations for possible future landings? Clipper collects a lot of local scale measurements. So that includes high resolution imagery, stereo images that let us look at the surface uh, topology and a number of other coordinated data sets from other instruments. All of those measurements together primarily support Clipper's main science objectives to understand the habitability, but uh, that improved knowledge would also provide us important context for any potential future landed mission. Uh, and that's what we see in the past with the exploration of the moon and Mars. What are some of the engineering challenges of this mission, especially from a systems engineering perspective? Well, some of the biggest engineering challenges come from the environment of Jupiter. 
as a combined problem, this is a great example of kind of big architectural trade space that system engineers have to grapple with. You know, we have to worry about uh, the radiation environment, which is quite harsh, the data return, large amounts of data from this payload. Uh, how can we get global coverage? Um, how do we provide power to the spacecraft? So one of the biggest challenges really is the huge magnetic field that Jupiter has, and that accelerates electrons. This results in a really large radiation belt, and it stretches out for quite an extent. Europa is in that radiation belt, and so we have to make sure that we can survive all of that radiation. To do that, we buy electric components that are less sensitive, but there are a lot of parts that have never really been used in that kind of an environment, and so nobody's really done the testing. We have to do a lot of our own testing. Uh, we actually have a particle accelerator underneath the mall, and we use metal for shielding, like the apron you wear at the dentist. Clipper has about a nine millimeter thick vault, and so we take these really tough parts and we put them inside that vault to protect it. These electrons also result in electrostatic discharge. So like you would get if you rubbed your sock covered feet in a thick carpet and then touch your friend, you get a shock, but out at Jupiter, the ESD um, is significant enough that it could destroy the electronics. So we have to do a lot of careful protection uh, of those materials as well. We have special gaskets. We have to be really careful about dielectrics, so things that could charge up like plastics or other insulators and, and let that charge build up until it's enough to cause damage. We also have a really harsh thermal environment. Uh, the spacecraft uh, in different parts of its lifetime has to be able to survive very hot temperatures and really cold temperatures. And the design has to tolerate both. And especially during the science phase, we have to really understand all of the behavior. So material properties change with temperature and they also change under radiation exposure. So that, again, takes us back to extensive testing. So we find that we have lots of different outgassing from materials at cold temperature under radiation exposure. Uh, and we see dielectric properties vary too with that, those cold temperatures. That can be a big challenge because you know, it just extends the range that you have to protect for uh, and plan for. And for example, the contamination control issues, our payload is exquisitely sensitive. And so every time we have additional material coming off of the spacecraft, that's a contamination source to the science. And so we have a delicate balance trying to manage all of those things. Ideally, we want to have global coverage of a body like Europa. We want to go and understand its geology, and global coverage is a, a really important tool for doing that and understanding what's really happening there. But the radiation environment is so harsh, the exposure collects very quickly. It turns out that even with all of the things that we do to try to make ourselves robust to that environment, we still can't just go into orbit and stay within that radiation environment for the life of the mission. The mission would be used up very, very quickly. And we'd have a lot of challenge getting all the data back given how far away we are from Earth. So we use a flyby approach that lets us be in a large orbit around Jupiter and kind of dip our toe down into the region right next to Europa, getting very close. We have all the science instruments on, we collect all of the data very quickly, you know, within a couple of days of being right near Europa, 
and then we pop back out so we can collect energy on the solar array, return the science data, and bleed off some of that um, static charge we built up. And we're getting ready for the next encounter then. During a flyby, the spacecraft turns to point all of the remote sensing instruments toward the surface. Um, the magnetometer and the plasma instrument are on, and then we start to scan in the ultraviolet and take pictures. We also start taking some measurements looking away from Europa, and that lets us do some dark sky calibrations and some other science that gives us more context. Then at about 40,000 kilometers, we reorient the solar rays and we put the radar antennas toward Europa and we point the apertures in the direction we're heading so they can scoop up the dust, molecules, charged particles. Then we get all of the instruments going. So now we're collecting a lot of data very fast. The imagers are going, the radar uh, collects all of its data very close to the surface. Uh, spectrometers are going, things are getting a little frantic. We also have the radio on and that supports the gravity science, which is looking at small perturbations in the orbit and lets them probe the interior structure. From that point on, all the instruments are taking data or poised to do so. And on the departure leg, it's largely mirroring the approach leg uh, with a few differences, mostly associated with data return. And typically we have a cleanup trajectory maneuver that happens too on the outbound path. Uh, we also then get another solar ray reorientation because every uh, watt is precious. And so we want to get that array back on Sunpoint as soon as we can and maximize our power generation. Then we just kind of take a minute and say, whew, it's time to go back to planning for the next encounter. One of the challenges actually is that, that very fast cadence for operations. So we're trying to do all of this science instrument uh, and data collection coordination and really, it's on a, a two-week cadence to be able to do all of that coordination and planning. And so one of the strategies has been to try to standardize that flyby behavior so we can be ready in time for the next encounter. System engineering is focused on making sure that the entire mission holds together. We fill in the gaps, and we make sure that all the parts of the spacecraft play well together. As you think about the radiation and ESD and the thermal challenges and the operational challenges, uh, you can imagine there are thousands of different parts that might be affected and scores of different things you need to do to protect the entire system. So we have tests, analysis, hardware changes in mechanical power, computers, the instrument, cabling, software changes to double check the uh, data or to be ready to protect the spacecraft in case the radiation causes an error. And the system engineering has to look across this entire story and say, yes, we all hold together with the same design. And in a mission this big, just trying to keep track of the baseline, what is it that we think we're building, is a challenge all in itself. You're clearly having to address a lot of complexities with this mission. Are there best practices or lessons learned that you could share? People often think of a technical best practice, but I think one of the things I've learned in this role is the criticality of keeping our whole team on track with respect to communication. It's complicated. We have nine instruments, seven subsystems, hundreds of people working across the overall project, and the communication is a huge challenge. It's important that we're all in sync, that we all understand that we're building an internally consistent baseline, and it's amazing how challenging it is to actually accomplish that. Sometimes the communication is through our work products, uh, drawings, interface control documents, technical memos. We have a huge array of 
you know, new um, communication tools for informal things like chat programs and things like that. One of the things I, I tell my team is while the technical resources are incredibly precious, right? Our power, our mass, energy. It's also true that to some extent, the most valuable resource we have on our project is the time of the technical team. They are the ones who are going to find the engineering solutions to the shared problem. And anything we can do to make that more effective has got to be a priority. How would you describe the diversity of the Europa Clipper team and benefits that are derived from a diverse team? A significant portion of our leadership team, project manager, business manager, payload manager, PSE, me, uh, mission assurance manager, and several PIs are women, which sort of struck me recently. It's a difference from what we have often seen in the past. Uh, We have many people of color. We have people with doctorate degrees. And people have been to trade schools, technicians. Uh, We also have people with decades of experience, along with people who are coming directly from a university environment, bringing new perspectives, new tools, and new thinking. And so it's, it's an incredibly exciting team to work with. If you have a team that all has the same background, you know, sometimes we all come up with the same solution or same thinking about how to approach a problem. But it turns out that you know some of the benefits that diversity brings are different perspectives. We see more innovation, less uh, sort of groupthink, right, which can be a risk. Um, it, it's sort of a blind spot. There's more creativity, faster problem solving. Some of the earlier career engineers on my team, one of the things I look for is not slowing them down by over-constraining them. So I'm often surprised at how if I give an open-ended assignment, they find more efficient ways, more design solutions, and more ways of approaching the problem than I would have been able to think of myself. And they're, they're often excellent solutions. So that has been a real pleasure for me to see, to see how much a diverse group like that brings it together to help us solve these hard problems and, and make a successful mission, which is the goal. Is the team spread across the agency? Yes, actually, we also have a lot of geographical diversity. The Jet Propulsion Lab is the lead center, and we partner with the Applied Physics Lab, and together we're responsible for the entire mission. But we couldn't do it without help from centers across the agency. Our program management is centered at Marshall. Our propulsion system is being built by Goddard Space Flight Center. And of course, we uh, will be launching from Kennedy. We have a number of other contributors, including instrument teams at both JPL and Applied Physics Laboratory. In addition, there's Southwest Research Institute, University of Texas at Austin, the University of Colorado at Boulder, and Arizona State University. These missions are so challenging, and uh, there is so much competition in the aerospace area right now. We are incredibly well-served by being able to go out across the country and take advantage of the best and the brightest that we have. What is it like for you personally to be a member of the Europa Clipper team and part of such an ambitious mission? Exploring Europa is the most challenging and rewarding work I've ever had the privilege to do. The science is so personally compelling for me. 
The investigation of habitability is a key step toward the search for life beyond our planet. I think our whole view of ourselves and the universe would change after a discovery of life beyond our planet. Before I joined the Clipper team, I spent a couple of years as the pre-project system engineer for the Europa Lander study, and that would rely on Clipper science to inform the mission. But when the opportunity came to be part of the Clipper team, I just couldn't resist taking the first ride back out to Europa. Well, we wish you all the very best with this mission. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You'll find links to topics discussed on the show and related Apple courses along with Jennifer's bio and a transcript of today's episode on our website at apple.nasa.gov slash podcast. If you have suggestions for interview topics, please let us know on Twitter at NASA Apple and use the hashtag small steps, giant leaps. As always, thanks for listening.